Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is um, Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Uh, today is April 30th, 2011. Uh, this is on Sabbath or in the Jewish reckoning, uh, Shabbat. Well, there's been a number of significant events that have happened uh, this week. Um, as I stated in the uh, description of the program, I will discuss any significant events in the world, and there's two primarily that has happened today that I will discuss. I am one week ahead of the traditional Torah readings, uh, Kiddushim, which means uh, holy or set apart. I uh, did that last week, so that was a mistake. Uh, so I just thought that I would give a Bible study on something that most people do, uh, worry. And the Bible study is going to be about how to overcome worrying. But before we get into that, let's discuss, first of all, this significant issue with Obama. Um, I am a Torah teacher, which means I, I teach the doctrines of God, and Torah teachers uh, do uphold the truth. And we do the best we can not to have our feelings and emotions involved with it. Now, last week I mentioned that Obama needs to reveal his long-form birth certificate, his long-form birth certificate. And he did. And I'm glad he did it because his colleague, uh, at the time anyway, his colleague, uh, Senator McCain, was forced to do it. And many people are not remembering that situation. Well, anyway, I came up with something uh, actually this morning, and and if this is true, it doesn't really look good for Obama or for this nation. Uh, this article is from uh, World Net Daily. The title of the article is Obama's McCain Resolution Demands American Parents. Now, I'm not going to read all this. I'm just going to highlight the significance parts of this article. It says, President's birth certificate confirms dad Kenyan citizen. Uh, this article was written by uh, Bob Unruh, uh, I guess, U-N-R-U-H, uh, posted April 29th, 8, 13 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It says, perhaps it's a good thing that the U.S. Senate didn't take up the resolution on Barack Obama's status as a natural-born citizen in 2008, as members did for the GOP, um, Grand Old Party, candidate Senator John McCain, while both were seeking a U.S. presidency. The Democrat might not have qualified under the requirements the Senate, including Obama, a co-sponsor and then-Senator, put in resolution, including the demand that the candidate have American citizen parents. 
Now, this is something, let me tell you, this is something that Obama and all the rest of the Democratic and Republican senators had agreed to. All right, so that's very significant. It's a public public document that you can get on the Internet. So there's no uh, escaping the truth of this. Now, it says the candidate's circumstances were not the same. Questions were raised over McCain's eligibility under the Constitution's demand that a president be a natural-born citizen because he was born to American citizen military parents while they were on assignment overseas. The special allegations have been placed online by YouTube participant P.P. Simmons, who previously has analyzed and provided commentary on the issues of eligibility to the presidency. And I highly suggest that you look at the video I did. And the title of the video, if you want to look this on YouTube in your spare time, it says, 100% proof, Obama resolves that he is not eligible to be president. So that that's what it says. Now, let me get back to this article. It says, uh, questions over Obama's, question over Obama's has risen because of his almost total concealment of documentation from his life, including his passport records, kindergarten records, uh, Panahu school records, Occidental College records, Columbia University records, Columbia thesis, Harvard Law School records, Harvard Law Review articles, University of Chicago articles, Illinois State Bar Association records, Illinois State Senate records and schedules, medical records, Obama-Dunham marriage license, Obama-Dunham divorce documents, Terrell-Dunham marriage license, and adoption records. He has sealed all these records, folks. Okay? And you got to look at this, you know, for, for black Americans. I'm, a, I'm black myself, okay? You can't look at the fact that this guy is black and automatically accept him. You have to look at the facts. They did this to McCain, all right? And he's white. So this isn't a white or black issue, folks, all right? Uh, now, in the article, specifically because of the lack of documentation, it was suspected he might not have been born in Hawaii or might have another circumstance that would preclude his eligibility under the Constitution's natural-born citizen requirement, such as a loss of that status by taking Indonesian citizenship during his childhood or relinquishing that status by using a foreign passport during his college years, or that he didn't qualify because of a dual citizenship inherited, inherited from a foreign national father. He only released a copy of his certificate of live birth from Hawaii this week because he said those questions were distracting him from the nation's problems such as massive spending, job instability, and others, and including the tornado that I will hopefully discuss today. Uh, it says, but plaintiffs and lawyers who earlier brought a lawsuit against Obama alleging he is ineligible to be president said he failed to meet the natural-born citizen requirement because his father is a foreign national and the understanding of natural-born citizen at the time the Constitution was written was a citizen offspring of citizen parents. That's also what Obama, as a co-sponsor, included in his Senate Resolution 511 in 2008 regarding McCain, which you can easily look on the Internet for yourself. It's public record. The statement includes two references to Americans as parents or American citizens as parents. It says, whereas there is no evidence of the intention of the framers or any Congress to limit the constitutional rights of children born to Americans serving in the military, nor to prevent those children from serving as their country's president, it states, and it said the text of the resolution, and it says, recognizing that John Sidney McCain III is a natural-born citizen. In the Senate of the United States, April 10, 2008, says Mrs. McCaskill, uh, for herself, Mr. Leahy, Mr. Obama, he was included in this, Mr. Colburn, Ms., Mrs. Clinton, and Mr. Webb submitted the following resolution, which was referred to the committee on a judiciary. 
reported by Mr. Leahy without amendment. Considered and agreed to resolution recognizing that John Sidney McCain III is a natural-born citizen, whereas the Constitution of the United States requires that to be eligible for the office of the president, a person must be a natural-born citizen of the United States, whereas the term natural-born citizen, as that term appears in Article 2, Section 1, is not defined in the Constitution of the United States, whereas there is no evidence of the intention of the framers or any Congress to limit the constitutional rights of children born to Americans serving in the military, nor to prevent those children from serving as their country's president, whereas such limitations would be inconsistent with the purpose and intent of the Natural Born Citizen Clause of the Constitution of the United States as evidenced by the first Congress' own statute defining the term natural born citizen, whereas the well-being of all citizens of the United States is preserved and enhanced by the men and women who are assigned to serve our country outside of our national borders, whereas previous presidential candidates were born outside of the United States of America and were understood to be eligible to be president, and whereas John Sidney McCain III was born to American citizens. He was born to American citizens, and I want to highlight that, on an American military base in the Panama Canal Zone in 1936. Now, therefore, be it resolved that John Sidney McCain III is a natural-born citizen under Article 2, Section 1, of the Constitution of the United States. This statement was sponsored by Senator Claire McCaskill, um, who was joined by Senators Hillary Clinton, Thomas Colburn, Patrick Leahy, and Obama. Obama. And that's very significant, folks. All right, and so his statement cited the New York Times for publishing a report calling into question of legality of McCain's presidential run based on whether he's a natural-born citizen as required by the Constitution. This bipartisan, and it was a bipartisan resolution, meaning it was by Democrats and Republicans, erases any doubt that Senator McCain is eligible to run for president. The Senate was right to quickly pass this measure, and we can now put it to rest any question of his eligibility. There's no question in my mind that Senator McCain is eligible to become president, and I'm proud that my colleagues in the Senate came together on this resolution to help quickly put this debate to rest. And let me ask you folks, why is the media not covering this significant event that happened with John McCain? Okay, they made a big deal about John McCain, but hold, please, let's not make a big deal about Barack Obama. That's not fair, folks, and you know it. Because he was born to American citizens, there is no doubt in my mind that Senator McCain, let me repeat that, because he was born to American citizens, Barack Obama's own birth certificate, long-form birth certificate, proves that he was not born to both American citizens. His father, both his fathers, were not American citizens, okay? And that is a fact. Because he was born to American citizens, talking about McCain, not Obama, there is no doubt in my mind that Senator McCain is a natural-born citizen. I recently asked Secretary of Homeland Security Michael Chertoff, a former federal judge, if he had any doubts in his mind. He did not. Now, it says the video cited Vattel's The Law of Nations, writing from which the U.S. founders drew both ideas and definitions. Their natural-born citizens are those born in the country of parents who are citizens. Okay, so that's the facts, ladies and gentlemen. My job is to tell you any significant event that happens in the world, this is a significant event. There's going to be a book coming out called Where is the Birth Certificate by um, Jerome Corsi, I guess the answer to that has been answered uh, as far as the birth certificate being revealed. But uh, the 
it says where's the birth certificate, the case that Obama is not qualified to become president, not because he doesn't have the brains to be president, but because of what the Constitution states and the understanding of the Constitution. So I'm just telling you right now, uh, you're going to be hearing about this in the media. Uh, the book's going to be coming out May 17th. And if you love the truth, folks, you're not going to deny this, and you're going to have to say, hey, you know, I like Obama, but, hey, the Constitution states that he has to be born of natural born. He has to be natural born, and both his parents have to be United States citizens. And his own long-form birth certificate proves that's not the case. So unless they change the law, which they do in this country, it doesn't look good for Obama. But, you know, I hope that there's a way around this, and I hope that um, perhaps there's going to be new legislation passed where he's going to be allowed to continue to be the president. But under the current rendering, it doesn't look like that, folks. So I, I have to, I'm a man of truth, and I have to tell you the truth, whether I don't, you know, whether it pains me or not. I mean, I, whether Obama was black or white, I would still feel the same way about this. You know, it, it just doesn't look good for him right now. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think the good thing about Obama, at least he finally uh, revealed his uh, long-form birth certificate, which shows me and, and other people that uh, he was willing to to uh, do what he said he was going to do in his administration, be transparent. Being transparent means revealing things that people request. So he did that, and I hope that he reveals all his other records so he has nothing to hide. You know, uh, if you have something to hide, people are going to suspect things. And then uh, let's look at the scripture, too. This applies to Obama and anyone else. First uh, Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. And people have been putting the burfers down and all that like they're idiots, and, and that's not true. That's not true at all. They have a legitimate complaint. Uh, in First Thessalonians, this is and in the King James Version, it says prove all things, but in First Thessalonians 5, verse 21, it's, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Test everything means test whether or not Obama is qualified to be president of the United States. It's like they tested Obama, uh, they investigated or tested McCain to see if he was qualified to be uh, to run for president. Why should it? Why should there be a second standard? You know, Obama needs to be investigated and tested too, and he was not fully tested, folks. And that's the truth. So either you're a lover of the truth, or you just want to not ignore. Or you, you just don't want to um, acknowledge the truth, and you have to. Okay, so uh, let's talk about these tornadoes here. I have to talk about that. Uh, it's definitely a significant event as well. Uh, April 25th to, to the 28th, uh, 2011 tornado outbreak. I uh, found this on Wikipedia. It says a violent tornado outbreak from April 25th to the 28th, 2011, affected the southern and eastern United States, leaving catastrophic destruction in its wake especially across the state of Alabama. So the Alabamians, they really suffered the worst from this. Um, the outbreak produced destructive tornadoes, destructive tornadoes in Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Mississippi, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia, and affected several other areas throughout the southern and eastern United States. Widespread and destructive tornadoes occurred on each day of the outbreak. This was between April 25th uh, to the 28th. As of early morning on April 30, 2011, over 350 people, 350 people were killed as a result of the outbreak. 
However, the exact number is unknown as search and rescue efforts continue and consequently various sources differ on the exact count. So anyway, this is a tragic event, and uh, Mr. Obama, Barack Obama, stated that this is the worst destruction that he's ever seen. So it was pretty devastating. I looked at some pictures. It looks horrible. So so I'm going to ask that we pray for the, the families of these people, that they can get over the pain that this has caused, and, and, and it's just horrible. Uh, just think if you just saw your whole family get wiped out and you're the only one alive. I mean, that I think that situation has occurred to a few people. Or you've seen your whole property be destroyed right in front of you, and, and it's everything that you worked hard for and is gone. And I know that when things like this happen, people ask, where was God? You know, why did God allow this? And, and that's a good question, folks. Uh, why does God allow things like this? Well, he answers that question. It's in the Bible. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. How much time I have left here? Isaiah chapter 59, starting in verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. And that's what people, when, when stuff like this happens, people wonder, well, where was God? Well, God states to all of us here in, in Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, and this is in the, I'm reading in the, uh, the English Standard Version, if it sounds a little strange, for clarity's sake. Uh, Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so so he does not hear. All right, so that is the problem, folks. Uh, we sin greatly in this country. I've talked many times in this program about our obsession with pornography. I, I looked at a, a recent uh, Nielsen uh, report. Nielsen is a uh, market research company. And they uh, specialize in uh, television statistics especially. And uh, I was telling my wife and my son the other day that uh, black Americans in particular, we, we look at 7.12 7 or, or 7 hours and 12 minutes or 11 minutes. I can't exactly remember what the minutes were, but I know it's 7 hours a day looking at television. That's 49 hours a week. And, and, and white folks, they look at um, television five hours a day. That's 35 hours a week. And Asians look at television just three hours, a little over three hours a day, which is 21 hours a week. And when you look at the latest statistics on uh, the United States Census Bureau as far as income, uh, it doesn't surprise me that uh, the <laughs> the type of human race that has the least television viewing is making the most money. Uh, the Asians, they make more money than than white people, black people, uh, and, and, and Hispanics. Uh, and, and that's the truth. If you don't believe me, go ahead and look on there for yourself, under income. And, and Asians make the most money per head. But uh, we, we spend too much time wasting our time. And, and, and uh, our minds are on, if you want to know what's on our minds, just, do internet searches. Uh, find out what, what we search the most on. Uh, you can find that statistic. Uh, but the, the kind of movies that we look at, you know, that tells you what's on our minds. It's not God in most cases. 
you know, it's, it's horrible. If you read the the rest of this chapter, it's a prophecy about our nation. And, and you say, wait a minute, it's talking about just the Jews. No. Go to uh, britam.org, look at Yara Davidi's information on who Israel is. Um, Israel is not just the Jews. The Jews is just, it's a part of one tribe, uh, the tribe of Judah. There's other tribes uh, of Israel that you have to be concerned with. Um, the United States and Britain are primarily part of Ephraim and Manasseh. Um, there's 12 tribes of Israel, and that's revealed in Genesis chapter 49. And um, when you look at Israel in the Bible, in most cases, it's, it's talking about us and Britain and in Canada and the, the countries in northwestern Europe, uh, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and anyone that considers themselves a believer of Jesus Christ or Yeshua Messiah uh, being uh, the deliverer, the, the savior, the, the, the Messiah of the world, uh, then you are also attached to the, to the nation of Israel as revealed in Ephesians chapter 2. And then also 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells you that everything was for our examples, for was, was uh, written down and done for our examples today, which proves that we are also a part of Israel, any believer. So anyway, I need to, to put that disclaimer in there so you understand what I'm talking about here. So um, Joshua chapter 7 is a good example of, you know, say, well, what about the little babies that die? What about the children? They didn't sin. Well, let, let me give you an example of one person's sin can cause hell uh, on the rest of us. It's kind of similar to if you know you have a murderer in the house, right, and you have 10 or 15 people and... The murderer says, okay, I'm not going to do it anymore when you know that they're going to, right? And you don't get that, that murderer out of your house, right? What do you think is going to happen? Well, he's going to kill everybody else, right? So you have to eliminate the problem before it causes curses or problems for everyone else. And Joshua chapter 7, God doesn't allow any of these any destruction like this, folks, unless there's a problem. Okay, if everybody was obeying him properly and doing what they're supposed to do, he wouldn't allow any of this stuff, okay? But he allows it because of sin. And that's the reason why. Uh, let me turn to, let's see, I think it's Jeremiah. Let's see. If I can find the scripture here, I think it's yeah, let me find it here real quick. It's pretty significant when I gotta look for it. Get my concordance out here. Jeremiah. There we go. Jeremiah eighteen. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter eighteen. He says, verse 7, if at any time, Jeremiah 18, verse 7, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from his evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. So that tells you right there, he allows these things to punish and to wake us up and to drive us back to him. 
if we were all obeying him collectively, none of these things would occur. We wouldn't have tornadoes and hurricanes and destruction. But because we're not obeying him, that's the reason why these things are occurring. And Isaiah chapter 24 tells us this. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 24. He wakes us up through these disasters. Uh, a lot of people don't even think about God until something like this occurs. And this is a catastrophic uh, prophecy that I think uh, this is a, definitely a time to be paying attention to this because this is going to happen here soon. Isaiah 24, verse 1, uh, in the English Standard Version of the Bible, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. Empty the earth. Come on, folks. This is what God is saying here through the prophet Isaiah. And he will twist his surface and scatter his inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priests, as with the slaves, so with his master, as with the maid, so with his mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly emptied and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken his word. It's not Canard speaking his word. This is the Lord speaking his word through the prophet Isaiah. Verse 4, the earth mourns and withers, the world languishes and withers, the highest people the earth language. The earth lies defiled or under a state of decay under his inhabitants, and why? For they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. That is the, the commandments of God throughout the Bible. Verse 6, Therefore a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. That's a prophecy that hasn't happened left, but if we continue on with this rampant, I don't need God in my life unless there's a catastrophe attitude, then these things are going to continue, folks. These things are going to continue. Well, let's turn to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Now, this is an example of how one person's sin can cause hell for everyone else. Joshua chapter 7. I mean, not, not chapter 7, chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. But the people of Israel, Joshua chapter 7 in the English Standard Version of the Bible, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, a son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So this is one person doing one thing, and he was angry with the entire people of Israel. Let's, let's understand why, folks. Let's understand why. Verse 2 of Joshua chapter 7. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is... In, uh, near Beth Aven, east of Bethel, which means the house of God, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out I, and they returned to Joshua and said to them, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack I. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for there are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of I, and the men of I killed about twenty, I mean, about thirty-six. Um, of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabaram and, and, and struck them at the desert. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Okay, so in verse 6, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth, which is a, is an act of repentance and beseeching God to, to pay attention to you. Maybe I need to do that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Maybe I need to do that too. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you bought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that 
we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land were here of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So you can talk to God like this, folks. You can, you know, as long as you know your place. Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. And why did Israel sin, folks? Because this one person did it. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So it's the people, the community's responsibility to get wickedness out. And when one person sins like that, it's the community's responsibility to to, to get rid of that. That is also explained in Deuteronomy 13 or Deuteronomy 18, that when there's sin around you, you got to get rid of it. And that's what he's talking about. In verse 13, get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from you or the idols from you. Verse 14, in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man, and he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Verse 16, So Joshua rose early in the morning, and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerites. Zerites was taken, and he brought near the clan of Zerites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he Bought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And this is interesting. Do not hide it from me. We can't be hiding stuff from folks. Okay? Verse 20, And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did when I saw among the spoil of a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Here we go with money and what it can do to you. Uh, he wanted money. He lusted for money, and look what happened. He sent. Then I covered them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So because of his lust for money, he sent. He stole. Verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. So he did tell the truth. Verse 23, and they took him out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, his sons too, and his daughters, and his oxen, and donkeys, and sheep, and tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. So this one person's sin brought trouble on everyone. I want you to understand this because Joshua is considered one of the prophets. This is prophetic. And when we have a country, when we have pornography going on, and we don't care collectively, we have all kinds of other wickedness, trouble is brought upon us if we don't take the responsibility and act like the Christians that we claim we are and do something about it. 
and trouble will continue to happen to this country or any country that continues to violate the laws of God. And this is an example of it. Verse 25, and Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today, and that's a prophecy, because God will continue to bring trouble on all of us as a nation until we repent collectively and start to obey him. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire, his whole entire family. Burned him with fire and stoned him with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Okay, so I, I hope that's clear to you folks, that God hates sin. And, he, and, and people that are aware of sin in your communities, should we have a responsibility to get rid of the sin. We have a responsibility to get rid of the sin. So, you know, that that's important for us to understand. And um, I think Deuteronomy 18 covers this. Yeah, uh, 13. Uh, Deuteronomy 13. Return there. says uh, in verse 1, if a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign of wonder, and the sign of wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which that's what was going on here, there was some kind of, well, lusting, covetedness can be idolatry, okay, and that's what he was doing. He was lusting for money, so that's a form of idolatry. Um, and, and the sign of wonder that he tells you come to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, his God, obviously, in this context, was money, okay? So in, in that situation, uh, that was his God, and he wanted to serve money instead of serving God. Verse 3, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has bought rebellion against the Lord your God. And he states here, um, dropping down here, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. That's our responsibility as a community. Verse 6, if your brother or the son of your mother, now I'm not saying that we go kill people because we're not under that situation that they were in back then. But what we can do, because we're under the, uh, according to Romans chapter, uh, I think it's chapter uh, 13, we're under the um, the government of, uh, of the United States and we need to follow the way the government of the United States is, and if we know that, that there's anything going on, you turn that person in and, and so forth. But we don't we don't have the responsibility. Even in this situation, they were brought to the Sanhedrin or the, the court of law back then, and it was all agreed upon that that this person should be uh, killed. So you just don't go and kill people, okay? I'm just, you know, because I don't want people to misunderstand what I'm teaching here. Uh, that's not our responsibility. Vengeance is God's. And in this situation, even in the Joshua situation, um, they they had a legislator back then. Uh, they had people uh, assigned to judge people and to rule whether or not this person should have the death penalty. Okay, so we have that structure today, but it takes too long to to wipe out these people that kill people and, and rape little babies and, and do all kinds of uh, abominable things. But we still have capital punishment, and people do understand that, that some people do deserve to die based on what they do. But it's not our responsibility to go kill folks.
Okay, so I just want to make that perfectly clear. That's the government's responsibility. All right, so um, verse 6, if your brother, the son of your mother or your son or your daughter or the wife you embrace or your friend who is as your own soul entices you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or far from you, from the uh, uh, one end of the earth to the other, verse 8, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you con- shall you conceal him. We're not supposed to conceal somebody who's going against the laws of God, folks. But you shall kill him. Okay, now, that's the reason why I brought that up. This was different back then. They were under um, following the laws of God as a community, and they uh, had a situation where this individual was taken to everyone and ruled guilty, and then they would kill them. Okay? Uh, We don't take it upon ourselves to do it. All right, so... um, so your hand shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So everyone participated in it. You shall stone him to death with stones, because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God, uh, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all Israel shall hear and fear, and never again do such wickedness as this among you. So again, I'm saying that that's not, we don't do that today. We don't take stones and stone people. Uh, what we do, we turn them into the police, or turn them into the, the government officials, and in the court of law. Someone is, uh, and even back then, uh, you had to be proven guilty to be guilty. You're innocent until proven guilty. And that's what happened in, in the Joshua situation. Uh, he told the truth, and then everyone realized he sinned, and they found the evidence. And then they were, they were all brought before everybody, and everybody participated in the execution. Okay, So that is done today in the court of law, and if someone is found guilty, then it takes several years, I guess, before they uh, get uh, in the, they're murdered uh, in the electric chair, not murdered, but killed in the electric chair, or given an injection to die. Okay, so that's the way it's done today. But we don't do it this way because God is not back. Uh, we, as a nation, as a world, is not found as law. But when Christ comes back, when the Messiah comes back, it will be followed this way again. Okay. Um, so I just wanted to explain that if anyone wondered why these things are occurring, it's because of our sins, and we have to repent collectively. And if we don't, he's going to allow these things to continue on. Let me read one more scripture to kind of summarize all this uh, in terms of the tornado. And I have an article that I suggest you read because uh, I didn't have time to go over the scriptures because we have to go into why we worry and why we shouldn't. Um, an article that I wrote on my um Merciful Service of God website, if you click, you go to the menu bar and click Bible Studies or Bible Articles. I think it says Bible Studies. Let me see. What does it say here? Uh, let me take a look at it here. I got so many things on the menu bar on my website. A Merciful Servants of God, um, it has here, since I get this thing out of the way here, a Bible Study Articles. Yeah, Bible study articles. Click that and then um, click the God and Hurricanes. I think it's uh, God and Hurricanes. Let me take a look here. Yeah, God and Hurricanes. And it'll give you information of why God allows hurricanes. And you might as well, might as well change it to God and Hurricanes and Tornadoes. Because <laughs> hurricanes and tornadoes are related to each other. Okay. Uh, 50 minutes left. All right. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, worrying here. Um, worrying is a, is a common thing that a lot of people do. And we need to adhere to 
what the Bible says about it. I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake here. Uh, in uh, Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses uh, 6 to 7. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7, in the complete Jewish Bible version, it says, Don't worry about anything. On the contrary, make yourselves make your requests known to God by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Then God, God's shalom, or peace, passing all understanding, will keep your minds and hearts safe in union with the Messiah, Yeshua. So we, we shouldn't worry about anything. And we should make our requests known to God by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So we should always thank God for everything that we have. We must not be overly concerned about food, drink, and clothes or anything else, folks. Worry in the complete Jewish Bible version is translated anxious in the English Standard Version and no thought in the King James Version. So in your King James Version, you should have no thought. That's what it means uh, to worry. Now, to look at this word in, in detail, anxious, according to Webster's Dictionary, uh, means uh, is, is categorized by extreme uneasiness of mind or brooding fear about some contingency. Uh, is characterized by resulting from or causing anxiety, ardently or earnestly wishing, eager. So it's, it's uneasiness of mind, okay? And God doesn't want us to be in that state. Now, according to uh, some other information that I have about this, uh, I'm going to break this uh, this word down, anxiety, into detail so that we understand what it's uh, talking about. This is based on um, Collins' Thesaurus of the Bible. Okay, uh, Anxiety. It says, anxiety weighs down the heart. Anxiety weighs the heart down. This is according to Proverbs. You can just write these scriptures down. Uh, anxiety weighs the heart down, Proverbs 12, verse 25. Anxieties of the world choke the word. Okay? So when we focus on the problems of the world too much, it chokes up our understanding of the word of God. When anxious thoughts are many, I am full of anxiety because of my sin. Okay? So sin can cause uh, worry. Eat and drink with trembling and anxiety. We have been searching for you anxiously. There will be a dismay of nations. Jacob was very afraid and distressed. Uh, no more will Jacob's face turn pale. Pharaoh's spirit was troubled or he was worried. Mary was worried about many things. Remember that example in Luke 10, verse 41? My anxiety for the churches. I'm in labor until Christ is formed in you. And then right here, uh, E2, do not be anxious. Do not fret over evildoers. So we shouldn't be fretting over evildoers, folks. Do not fret as it only leads to wrongdoing. Why are you anxious about clothing? We shouldn't be worrying about clothing. We shouldn't have any uneasiness of mind about that. Do not worry about what to eat or drink. So we shouldn't have any uneasiness of mind about eating, drinking, or what we're going to wear. Uh, it says, 
then Christ asked in Luke 24, verse 38, Why are you troubled? Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. Be anxious for nothing. We're not supposed to worry about anything. We're not supposed to have an uneasiness of mind about anything. And we shouldn't have an uneasiness of mind about tomorrow. And he makes a good point here. Christ, he says, who by having uneasiness of mind can add a cubit to his life? We can't. We can't do those things. So we, we need to, it's, it's, it's really futile to have uneasiness of mind about your life. It says the worries of this life choke the word. Let, let's turn it at it. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, verse 22. Oh, Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 13. Made a mistake there. Matthew 13, verse 22. Sorry about that. Now, this is the parable of the sour. Okay, and I'm going to read it in the context of that so you understand this. And this is the problem that a lot of people have when it comes to God and God's words, okay? And I'm reading this in the English Standard Version of the Bible, Matthew 13, verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sour. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Okay, so this is telling you the process of how the devil causes you not to want to be inspired or or desire his words, okay? And first of all, number one, what he does for those who don't understand it, the devil, he comes and snatches away what has been sown in his mind. So whatever has been planted in the mind. Let me give an example. Uh, The scriptures state that that everyone, all of mankind, must keep the Shabbat. That's in Isaiah chapter 66, verses 22 to 23. And that's God's intent. And then in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 27... Christ states that the Sabbath is for man, not just for the Jews. So that has just been planted in your mind, folks. I just told you the truth. Now, what the devil does successfully, for those who don't understand what I just told you, he takes what I've already planted in your mind, he removes it from your mind because you don't want to understand it. Okay? Or or, or you just don't understand it. This is what was sown along the path. But if you have the desire to want to understand it, the devil can't do it. Because there's a scripture that states, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. This is someone who receives the, the word with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when problems occur, tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately he falls away. So this is a person that is weak. I mean, they 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 love God's word. They like to hear. Oh yeah, that that sounds good. But when there's a problem, when their job is taken away or no money's coming in, uh, they're having problems feeding themselves. Uh, there's there's some issues where they have to wait for something. Then they just forget about God. Okay, and that's what Christ is talking about in verse. It says verse 22. Uh, as for what was sown among the thorns. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world, the cares of this world, the worries of this world, okay, and the deceitfulness of the riches, the deceitfulness of riches. You know, that is a good Bible study, but, you know, being rich can be tricky, 
And God is telling you that there's deceitfulness of riches. Choke the word and proves it unfruitful. Okay? And we got to be, you know, Christ stated this. It's one of the most famous stories of all time in Matthew chapter 9 about rich people. He said that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than someone for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That is sad, folks. I mean, that's a serious, serious uh, thing to consider. Obviously, God does not value money like we do. Money is not as important as developing spiritually and educationally, folks. So you got to understand that. We, we deceive ourselves into thinking that success is all about money. It's not. Hold your place here. Let me tell you what God's definition of success is first. It's back to Joshua again. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 8. And you may think this is not in style and boring. Well, God says, hey, you're the one that's not in style and boring. I'm the one that's always in style. I'm the dude. That's what God is telling you. Okay? Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. A day is 12 hours. A night is 12 hours. So God is telling you should always have his words on your mind. Not just being a robot saying, Lord, 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 all day, but you should always have it on your mind in terms of whenever someone is telling you to do something wrong, you immediately realize, hey, wait a minute, that's in violation of the law of God. I can't steal. Or wait a minute, uh, this woman is, is at work is trying to seduce me, and I'm married. I'm going to commit adultery. I shouldn't do that. That's what he's talking about. It should be on your mind to the point of where you'll be able to immediately uh, don't even sin based on you understanding the law. So that you may be careful, and this is what I just said here, and God, you know, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. That's what I meant. That you, you know, if you don't think about it and don't constantly meditate on the law of God, how can you stop sinning? We meditate and concentrate on the things that we think are more important than God: our television programs, our basketball games, our tennis. Uh, uh, Etc. We we think that's more important to God. Our movies, like this silly movie about a god of thunder, is coming out called Thor, and I know everybody's going to be going nuts to see that. And and and, and they're thinking about that constantly. How come you can't think about God's law constantly? Okay, uh, so that you may be careful to do all according to all that is written in it. For then you will you will make your way prosperous. And prosper doesn't mean rich. It means that you'll have what you need. And then you will have good success. Okay? And then for men, especially, but women should be strong and courageous too. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Even if it looks bleak. You know, I'm going through a tough situation right now. But I, I feel fully confident, no doubt in my mind, that God's going to get me out of it. He got Joseph out of worse situations, so I know I'll be out of my situation. Um, and then in verse uh, 7, it says in, in Joshua uh, 1, verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. That's God's definition, folks, of success. I don't care what anyone else's uh, definition is. I only care about what God's definition is. 
And God's definition of success is to simply obey him, folks. That's his definition of success. And um, that's just the way it is, folks. And, you know, God tells us that, uh, you know, our possessions, that's not important. You know, our possessions and what we have is not um, the important thing. And in Luke chapter 12, let's turn it out to, so you can understand my point there. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. This is the parable of the rich fool, which is one of my favorite parables. My family knows I love this parable. Parable, or lesson to be learned, or moral. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance about money again. It's just like we just focus on money so much. Money, what you got, and all that, okay? So, teacher, and, and, and um, someone in the crowd was talking to Yeshua. They called him teacher. Teacher means rabbi in Hebrew. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? Okay, so, you know, God wants us to handle stuff like this. He don't want to have to come and intervene with the. This is common sense stuff we, that he built in our minds to handle on our own, Okay. And verse 15, he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetedness. For one's life, and, and, and I'm going to repeat this two times, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Let me repeat it again. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And what is being preached in society today? That it is. That what you got, makes a difference. It's like uh, Donald Trump is bragging, well, you know, I've done very well. Um, I, 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 you know, I've done very well and I have this and I have that. And, you know, uh, God's not very impressed by that. Okay? He's not impressed. He's more concerned about Donald Trump and he had, there's a special commandment for rich people uh, that they should share the wealth. Okay? So, <laughs> uh, rich people should share the wealth according to what God says in the Bible. And that's been found in First Timothy chapter 6 if you care to read that. Uh, and, and he told them a parable in verse 16. He told them a, par- a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? Nowhere to store my crops at all. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And you can interpret that today as being stocks and bonds in the stock market. Right? Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, or your life. That's what soul means in this context. You have ample goods laid up for many years. And in terms of the stock market fanatic today, uh, plenty of stocks and bonds okay, laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Okay? And here's the thing that I want you to notice here in this parable. He says, you know, and uh, in verse seventeen, he says, "He thought to him, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops." He wasn't thinking one time about sharing his possessions or crops with anyone. And God, in that situation, if you're blessed enough to be that rich, He wants you to share your possessions with other people. He doesn't want you storing up, continuing to store up. There's nothing wrong. You know, there's a difference between storing up treasure 
for emergency purposes so you wouldn't be a burden to somebody versus just storing, 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 and, and not considering giving to other people. Okay? In verse 18, he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones instead of giving and distributing it to the poor, as you're commanded to do if you're rich in First Timothy chapter 6. And there will I store all my grain and my goods. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. He calls him a fool. I didn't call him a fool. God calls people a fool in this situation. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. And you may ask the question, how are you rich toward God? You're rich toward God by giving to other people. Matthew chapter 25, the last uh, little parable there, talks about that. Uh, feed me, clothe me. If you're feeding and clothing someone, you're feeding and clothing God. That's what he says. The solution to all of our problems is to give. Have a giving attitude and don't expect anything back. That is the solution. But anyway, back to uh, Collins, uh, the stars of the Bible. says, that not your hearts be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and anxiety. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be anxious. I want you to be free from anxiety. Cast all your anxiety on God. In 1 Peter 5, verse 7, that's the solution to do that. If you are unable to do such a small thing, why are you anxious about other things? Okay? And and then in Luke 12, verse 22, he says, and he said to the side, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't have uneasiness of mind about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. And verse 23, he says, for life is more than food. I, I tell someone this uh, constantly. And he says, for life is more than food. Life is more than food. That's what our Lord and Savior tells us. And the body is more than clothing. So he says our life is even more important than food and clothes. And in verse 24, he says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. He feeds birds. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious or having uneasiness of mind, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Makes sense to me. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? When you worry, when you have uneasiness of mind, God says you have little trust in him. That's what faith means hebraically, trust. Verse 29, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. So we're not supposed to seek what you're to eat and what we are to drink. We're not, we're not supposed to be on a, 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 a mission to focus totally on that. He doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want us to have uneasiness of mind about that. Verse 30, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows what you, your father knows that you need them. He knows you need that. But whenever you get into a situation where things are tough, in most cases, we're not seeking the kingdom. 
We're not seeking the, uh, his kingdom. We're not putting him first in our lives. If all you think about is items and merchandise and what you're going to spend your money on instead of thinking of reaching, in my situation, I need to, to reach God with the, with, with the preaching that I'm doing. I can do that effectively. And one of the things I did wrong when I was making some money, as recently as three or four weeks ago in, in my business, my marketing consulting business, I did not think one time, I don't think, about uh, putting in uh, some monies to advertise this website to other people so I can reach other people, not to make money off them. I don't ask for contributions. Uh, I accept them, but I, I don't constantly bombard people with uh, contributions because that's not the purpose of a ministry. The purpose of a ministry is to freely give the Word of God to people. It's a life-changing and life-saving message. And that's not something you should charge for. So, um, according to the scriptures. So anyway, but it does cost money for me to get this message out to people. And I will spend it once uh, I, I make enough money to do it. So anyway, um, it says right here, verse 20, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They need a toil no spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God, okay, verse 29. Verse 30, right? For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. In another version, it says, uh, seek the righteousness of God. Righteousness, uh, Psalm 119, verse 172 says, or means, keeping the commandments of God. Verse 32, fear not, little flock, and God's people are little flocks worldwide. There's not that many people that really truly obey all the scriptures of the Bible. For it is your Father's good pleasure, and believe him, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, sell your possessions, that means the things that uh, you have an abundance of, and give to the needy. It doesn't mean to sell all your clothes and when you're naked and you don't have anything. He means sell the things that you have. It's like the rich fool. This is in the context of the rich fool. If you have all these abundance of possessions, God wants you to sell those. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, that's where your mind will be also. So we need to be building treasure in heaven. And how do you build treasure in heaven, folks? By giving to people. Sharing your, your not just money, but your wisdom, your knowledge, your life with people. That's how you build treasure in heaven. God wants us to build treasure that uh, where no thief can approach and no moth can destroy. That's the, that's what we need to be focused on. Okay, so I hope that you're getting a clear picture on how to eliminate worry from your life. So um, let's turn to First Peter chapter five, verse six to eleven. First Peter chapter five verses six to eleven. I'm reading this in the um, complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake, uh, starting in verse uh, six. First Peter chapter five verse six. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the right time He may lift you up, 
So there's a specific time when he does it. We can't predict when he's going to lift us up, folks. Okay, he has a time of when he's going to do something, and he will lift us up at the right time, at the time he thinks is right for us, because he directs our paths, not us. Okay? So therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the right time he may lift you up. Throw all your anxieties upon him, because he cares. He wants us to throw all the junk, all the crap, everything that, that happens to you on him. He wants you to throw it all, this envision, all, this, all your problems. Put a, a big a garbage bag of problems and say, here, Father, here, take care of it for me. That's what he wants you to do. Throw all your anxieties upon him because he cares about you. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. You have to do something, okay? You have to work and so forth. But things you can't handle, that's what I'm talking about. The things that you can't handle that we worry about, that we have uneasiness about, you have to give that over to him. Verse 8, stay, sto- stay sober, stay alert. Your enemy, the adversary, stalks about like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, in this the reason why he's saying it, in this situation, that's when the devil really, really starts to attack you. When you get into a, a troublesome situation, that's when he really wants to attack you. That's when he tries to attack you. That's the reason why it says in verse 8, stay sober, stay alert. Your enemy, the adversary, stalks about like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Devour means to eat up. Verse 9, stand against them, firm in your trust, knowing that your brothers throughout the world are going through the same kinds of suffering. So any other believer, they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> They're going through suffering like this. I mean, Sometimes uh, there's a money problem. Sometimes there's other problems. And, and we just got to deal with it. Verse 10, you will have to suffer only a little while. After that, God, who is full of grace, the one who called you to his eternal glory in union with Messiah will himself restore, establish, and strengthen you and make you firm. Now, notice he doesn't tell you when, okay? But he will do that. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, in uh, verse, let's turn to Psalm 55, verse 23. Psalm 55, verse 23. Psalm 55, verse 23. Or verse 22, I'm sorry, verse 22. Uh, Psalm 55, verse 22, uh, in the... uh, Complete Jewish Bible version says, Unload your burden on Adonai, the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And then in um, Psalm 55, verse 22, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Now, that word moved, I looked that up. It means to slip, to totter, to stagger, to quake, to shake, make random motions which may result in an object falling, implying lack of motor control due to weakness of other factors. It means thoroughly shaken, in other words, thoroughly destroyed. Uh, to be an unfavorable circumstance, uh, it, it can. It's talking about a financial circumstance or, or uh, socioeconomic to cause trouble, to be removed. So uh, it says, have a change of state as an extension of a shaking. What would cause us something to fail? So God promises that we won't fail and that we won't be utterly destroyed. That's what that means. 
when it, when it, uh, when it says he will never permit the righteous to be moved because the righteous is moved at times. I mean, things happen to us. But what he's saying in that context is that he promises not to destroy us, not to let the problem destroy us totally where we're just totally a failure. Okay? That's what he's saying. Um, and and uh says, David's confidence, uh, I'm quoting from the uh, J.F. Woolward, um, the Bible knowledge commentary. It says, David's confidence found expression in his words to the saints to entrust their burdens unto the Lord. God will never forsake the righteous, but he will destroy bloodthirsty and deceitful men who afflict the righteous. Okay. Uh, in Psalm, 16, Psalm 66, verse 9, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. Psalm 66, verse 9, in the uh, complete Jewish Bible version, he preserves our lives and keeps our feet from stumbling. And uh, in Psalm 121, verse 3, he says, He will not let your foot slip. Your guardian is not asleep. And, you know, slip means that just totally have a devastating thing happen to you where you never can recover from it. And he promises for you to be able to recover from these things. Um Then uh, this uh, particular uh, James one verse two to seven. Let's turn to James uh, one verses two to seven. Now I know this is difficult, folks, but God commands us to do this. I, mean, I joke about this, but <laughs> He expects us to do this. In James one verse two to seven, I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version. Regard it all joy, my brothers, when you face various kinds of temptations or tests. We're supposed to jump for joy for that. For you know that the testing of your trust produces perseverance, being able to be tough, tough-minded. But let perseverance do its complete work so that you may be complete and whole, lacking in nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we need to, when we get in a bind, we need to ask him for wisdom. But let him ask and trust, doubting nothing, for the doubter is like a wave in the sea being tossed and driven by the wind. Indeed, that person should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. So if we doubt what God says, folks, he is not going to give us nothing. So we cannot, we have to be careful about doubting. Doubting in the original Greek means uh, to judge God, to evaluate God in, in, a, in a bad way, okay? Discerning, make a distinction, uh, dispute, debate. You know, God doesn't want us to disputing and debating what he said in his word. If you do that, uh, you're not going to, to get what, what you need. He says, don't ever hesitate or take issue with the way God will help you. Well, this is what I'm saying here. Don't ever hesitate or take issue with the way um, God will help you or answer your prayer. If you do that, then you will not receive anything from him. And I know from experience that's true. So um, we need to be very careful of that, folks. Psalm 50, um, you won't have to turn out. You can just jot these scriptures down. Psalm 50, verses 14 to 15 states, Offer thanksgiving as your sacrifice to God. Pay your vows to the Most High and call on me when you are in trouble, and I will deliver you and you will honor me. So whenever he delivers you, honor him and thank him for that. Thank him for that. Now, um, another... Um, Quote from Wolfert, uh, the Bible Knowledge Commentary, uh, based on Psalm 50, verses 14 and 15, says, Israel should offer their sacrifices of thanksgiving from a genuine 
a genuine trust in the Lord. The solution to formalism is to worship in genuine faith, which is why Aesop called on the people to sacrifice thank offerings. The Hebrew word for thank offerings is todah, from the verb yudah, to acknowledge thanks. Such an offering could not be given unless the offerer had experienced God's work on his behalf. If he was in distress and called on God, the Lord would answer. Then the offerer would praise the Lord as a spontaneous expression of his enjoyment of God's benefits. If the people had been praising, they would have enjoyed his benefits, not worshiping in any ritualistic form. Okay? So, this is, this is important to understand here in terms of um, this scripture here. And um, this is a quote from David Stern here uh, based on uh, sacrificing. This is on page, uh, what page is this on? English version of the first edition. But it doesn't tell me what page. But anyway, this is a quote from the, the Complete Jewish Bible um, version here. Uh, Leviticus 7. Oh, this is Leviticus 7, verses 10 to 15. Um, this is the law for sacrificing peace offerings often to Adonai, and the thanks, thank you offering is, is uh, a type of that. If a person offers it for thanksgiving, uh, and this is Leviticus 7, verse 10 to 15, if a person offers it for giving thanks, he is to offer it with the thanksgiving sacrifice of unleavened cakes mixed with olive oil, matzah spread with olive oil, and cakes made of fine flour mixed with olive oil and fried. With cakes of leavened bread, he is to present his offering together with the sacrifice of his peace offerings for giving thanks. So thanks offerings is a type of peace offering. From each kind of offering, he is to present one as a gift for the Lord. It will be belong to the kohen or the priest, who splashes the blood of peace offerings against the altar. The meat of the sacrifice is his peace offering for giving thanks to be eaten on the day of his offering. He is not to leave any of it until the morning. So he shares the, 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 the Thanksgiving offering with the priest and in some cases with other people. All right, so that, that's very important. Uh, we should have that type of attitude uh, when, when uh, we are in trouble and, and we should be willing to help people also that are in trouble while, while even we are in trouble. Uh, let's turn to Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16 to understand, since there's no temple today, how do we give sacrifices and offerings? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Through him, and this is in the complete Jewish Bible version, through him, therefore, let us offer God a sacrifice of praise continually. This is something we should do continually. For this is the natural product of lips that acknowledge his name. Don't, and it says in verse 16, but don't forget doing good and sharing with others. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Share what you have with God's people and practice hospitality. So that's what we need to do. Practice hospitality and share with God's people. Is someone among you in trouble, he should pray. So when you're in trouble, pray. Talk to God. Is someone feeling good, he should sing songs of praise. Not this garbage pit music that's out there right now that's garbage. Okay, so sacrifices, what it symbolizes is sharing with people and giving to people, giving to God and giving to other people. That's what sacrifice pointed to. That's what the sacrifice pointed to. 
whenever they get, gave sacrifices back then, they shared the meat with the priests and, and with other people, the peace offerings, the Thanksgiving offerings. Okay. And Psalm 91 is, is, a, is a scripture that I want to read here. It's, it's pretty significant here. I'm going to read this in the uh, complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. And I just read you James 5, verse 13, as far as uh, that other scripture. But anyway, Psalm chapter 91. I'm going to read this in the uh, English Standard Version, for clarity's sake here. It's one of the most powerful psalms to read, especially when you're having problems and tempted to worry about something. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress in God whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the follower and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your God your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all his ways, and that means evil that will destroy you totally. Uh, verse 12, on their hands they will bear you up, that now you strike your foot against a stone. Verse 13, you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. To deliver someone means they're in trouble. So he does allow evil and trouble to befall you, but he will deliver you from that. Okay? Verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Uh, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. Of course, it doesn't tell you when he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's a pretty good uh, passage of scripture to to take to heart. And here's another one, Psalm 142. Psalm 142. Psalm 142. The understanding version, starting in verse 1, says, a masculine of David when he was in the cave of prayer. So this is when he was going through a great trial. Uh, Psalm 142, verse 1. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy for the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. Verse 3. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. There is none that takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. 
for no one cares for my soul, and I can understand how how he feels there or he felt. Uh, can get that way. No one cares for, for my soul. Verse five. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. And uh, this is a, a very significant uh, thing that he was going through at, at the time. And uh, from the Dallas Theological Cemetery, the Bible Knowledge Commentary here, it says, uh, verse 142 to... Uh, verses, uh, oh, chapter 142, verses 1 and 2 of this. It says, David, possibly addressing others with him, explained that he cried out to the Lord for mercy, voicing his complaint and trouble. Addressing the Lord, David stated that God knew his way when his spirit weakened. Apparently under pressure, he had lost his fight for his resistance was weakened. The trouble arose from a trap laid for him by an enemy. He then called on God to look to his to his right where normally someone would be standing to guard him because he was without refuge and support. No one cared for his life. His only hope was the Lord to whom he prayed. And if you're in that situation, uh, pray to God using Psalm 142. It says, when David cried to God, he affirmed his confidence in him. God was his safety and his life. God was his portion, his allotment, all he had. In his desperate situation, likened to a prison, he petitioned the Lord to rescue him from his strong enemies, so he could then praise God's name for what he had done. Also, the righteous could then joyfully gather him because of the Lord's goodness. Okay, let's look at um, a final scripture here. Uh, save the best for last. Psalm seventy, Psalm 37, in the remaining eight minutes here. Psalm 37. Psalm 37. I'm going to read this in the uh, English Standard Version of the Bible. And and the name of this um, psalm is, He will not forsake his saints, um, according to the English Standard Version of the Bible here. Psalm 37. Uh, In a complete Jewish Bible version, Fred is defined as, Don't be upset. So don't be upset or fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. So he's telling us not to get upset when evil is done to us. I know that's difficult, folks, but that's what God commands us to do. Not get upset or have uneasiness of mind when uh, you have evil done to you because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. We shouldn't be jealous of wrongdoers, people out there making a lot of money and sinning. Verse 2, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So we should be friends to people who are faithful. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, and of course those desires of the heart have to be righteous desires, because God's not going to bless your unrighteous desires. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. So your way must be committed to him, for him to fulfill your desires. Trust in him and he will act. Verse 6, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light. Righteousness is defined in Psalm 119, verse 172. Psalm 119, verse 172, as his commandments. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. 
Fret not yourself and don't get upset over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not get upset. It tends only to evil. For the evil that will shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 10, in just a little while the wicked will be no more. This is the prophecy. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own mind or heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has, and remember this for those who are listening to me and are struggling. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. So he's saying, hey, if you ain't got nothing or hardly anything, you're doing better than the abundance of, of, of rich people that are wicked. Verse 17, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they will have abundance. So while everybody else is suffering, God promises to make sure that we have abundance of food. Verse 20, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away, which proves again that when you are dead, you're dead. Verse 21, the wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by you? No. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, and we, you know, being righteous, you can fall, folks. He shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord opposes his hand. In other words, he's not going to utterly destroy you. That's what he means. Or cause you to totally fail. Verse 25, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. Now, <laughs> remember, it says his children. Uh, you beg bread, but your children won't beg bread. That's what it's saying, okay? Verse 26, he is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Verse 27, turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. And that's the key, and if we want tornadoes to stop folks and we want hurricanes and other catastrophes then we need to turn as a nation collectively as you learn in joshua chapter 7 and deuteronomy chapter 13 we need to turn from evil and do good so shall you dwell forever okay verse 28 for the lord loves justice he will not forsake his saints his saints are people who believe all his words and, and prove it through their actions they are preserved forever but the children of the wicked shall be cut off killed Verse 21, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Verse 30, the mouth of the righteous utter wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. And that's what it means to meditate on the law day and night. And because of the law of God being in your mind, your, your steps will not slip. Verse 32, the wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. That's interesting. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. 
I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace. There is a future for the man of peace. A man of peace is one who keeps the law of God and delights in it. And that's why he's a man of peace or a woman of peace. Verse 38, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He, he delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. So that that is an outstanding, outstanding passage of Scripture to remember when uh, you are worrying and doubting things. And and uh, I just hope that this Bible study will help you to understand what worrying is, how to overcome it, and, and uh, why God allows all these catastrophes. It's to bring us to Him. And I hope that this message uh, gets distributed to other people so they can find, know the truth about this. May God speak. May God bless you. And speak to you, too. <laughs> May God bless and speak to you and, and protect you. And God willing, I'll be available next week to continue the traditional Jewish uh, Torah readings. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 